All right. Well, today we're talking about salvation. And I have a question. I have a question for you guys about salvation because so much talk of one sort of salvation or another happens in conservative circles and progressive circles in most religious circles. There's, there's always some sort of like idea of what that means. And, you know, when I was a conservative, it was kind of like you're on God's team and, uh, you're, you're in, you've got the badge, you've, you've got the right beliefs. You've got the, the pass, the backstage pass to the universe. You get to go to hang out with the creator when you die. Um, and then when I became more progressive, it was, it became more about this world, but even in that, so what would it mean if, if we're talking about our current lives, what would salvation, is it a, is it a worthwhile concept? And here's my question to just kind of get the ball rolling because so much of when we think about what a good life is or what's the, the pinnacle of life. And even when we think about helping other people, and what are we moving towards? What's the goal? We're all like, we're thinking about equality and we're thinking about justice. We're thinking about all the good things we want in the world. What are we really aiming for? I think sometimes we don't actually look too much at the end result of what we're aiming for. And here's a question that would help us maybe wonder if our end result is really what we think it is. Because the question that I want to ask is, is Jeff Bezos free? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I think you're getting at a, a hugely important point, which is that if salvation is something which is meaningful and exists, it is certainly not what the normal ego wants, right? It is certainly something else. Um, so I would say I have absolutely no idea if Jeff Bezos is free or is enlightened. Um, I, that would be awesome if he were, because uh, I feel like he has the power to express a lot of important information to a lot of people much more rapidly than basically anyone on the earth. So if it does turn out that Jeff Bezos is a completely enlightened master, please, Jeff, help us. <laughs> but again, how could we know? Yeah, but you see, or, or maybe we could even ask it, or, or Sam, you could ask with Donald Trump. Donald Trump made it to the top of the game, right? He made it to the top of the human game possible by all the rules. He got the money, he got the the women, he got the power, um, and is is what we're trying to do. And I'm asking this specifically to progressives, because most of us have moved beyond the like badge of honor for beliefism. But a lot of us progressives still are kind of like, think that salvation has something to do with prosperity, has something to do with um, human power systems. And if that's the case, then 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 Donald Trump is what we should all be striving to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's all bullshit. Yeah, I personally, I don't think salvation has anything to do with human power systems or any human idea of happiness or goodness, ethical satisfaction within the world. I remember, Michael, the first time that we met. Um, I got your eyebrows raised because I suggested to you that it is possible that Donald Trump is enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought I was crazy. But that's exactly what I was saying. Is no, you made me laugh. These, made me laugh. All, all these details of his life, right? Like all the things that he's accomplished, all the things people hate about him, all the horrible things that he's done. 
that has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with his relationship to the all or to emptiness itself. So in a sense, it again, it is impossible to know if he himself is truly liberated because it has nothing to do with those objective things that we can just pick out about his life story. <laughs> We're off to the races. <laughs> Before- I have the definition of salvation pulled up. From what? Google? According to the... It's 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 just when you Google it and it's, it says dictionary. Okay. I don't know which dictionary is that, but it's the Google dictionary. It says it says preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And then the second one it says theology, deliverance from sin and its consequences, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. So that's an interesting thinking of it, and that regard with the question about Jeff Bezos and Trump Mm. thinking of deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss, having winning the human game definitely doesn't deliver you from harm, ruin, or loss. There's, there's, that is also very possible Mm. at the top of the food chain. So by that definition, no, they would not be by default. I would say by most people's perspective, Trump has undergone a lot of harm, ruin, and loss over the last year. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But I mean, just based on that definition that you just read, both the more practical one and the theological definition, it really leads to further ambiguity to define more terms, right? What is harm, ruin, and loss? And then from the theological Mm -hmm. perspective, what is sin? Mm -hmm. What are Mm -hmm. the consequences of sin? And I think that from the Christian perspective is the heart of it, the, the crux of the issue is what do we mean when we mean liberation from sin? What would it be like to live a life without sin and the consequences of sin? Yes. I think that's where we really start to get into the juice. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Did we do a sin episode? I'm blanking right now. I don't think think we have. I literally, as I was reading this definition, I had the same thought Mason and I was like, we need to define sin like to really have this conversation, but maybe we talk about it. Should we see what Google says about sin? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'll pop it in google is enlightened okay that's true sin definition is any moral act considered to be a transgression against divine law so mm. who can tell me what the divine law is anybody <laughs> it's the <laughs> rabbit trail <laughs> circular <laughs> yeah then whoever gets to say the divine law gets to say what sin is and then gets to say exactly. what freedom is Exactly. Yeah. And this is Which the Which explains the, the differences of yeah. what, how people see it in different ways is because that is defined differently depending mm-hmm. on who you ask. And, yeah, and when it's defined, when anything, literally any single thing in this entire universe is defined, it can only be defined in reference to other things, yeah. right? Like if, if we're going, looking for an objective description of anything, it will only be in terms of objects, which are things out in the world that have particular form, particular definition, right? But because they are objects, they themselves are only defined in regards to all the other objects. So what we have is an unfortunate and infinite regression. If we are looking for objective meaning in the world, what we find is reference to other objects, which require reference to other objects to themselves have meaning. We have an infinite regression of meaninglessness, right? And this is what the Buddhists mean when they say emptiness, is that any inherent thing has no fundamental meaning because each layer of meaning is only in reference to other meanings, which are in reference to other meanings forever. So there is no ground that you find in which objective truth can be related and disclosed. Except the Bible. Except the Bible, of course. (laughs) Of course. 
But I think this but, is an important question. I, I want to know if one of you two can tell me the answer. If there is no objective description of the divine law, if there's no way to objectively describe the meaning of life, how do we do it? We tell stories. We make. We <laughs> what are stories? How would you describe stories, right? They have a certain property. Yeah. It's not objective. What is it? Yeah, subjectively. It's subjective, right? <laughs> That's the key to it that I think everybody forgets. We look at religion and we demand it give up give us objective truth, but it's not an objective practice. It's a mm. subjective practice. And what does it mean when something's subjective? That it involves the self. Mm-hmm. The self is not an object. It is inherently a subject. It is the experiencer of all things. So it can't be described objectively. And this has been English class with Mason Smith. I am an English major. It's worth something. <laughs> I think it's interesting that divine law, yeah, we, when we try to think of something like a concept like divine law objectively, we kind of think that there, there, is, there must be some sort of code or law that the divine has what are we actually doing? I don't think we pay, that's another thing we don't pay attention to very much. Like why do we think that divine law is anything but what is that there's some abstract other than what is, that is the law of this place. Uh, but what are we basing that on? It's, it's, it's just an, an assumption and it's an assumption of looking for something other than this, right? So it's like, what, what is the, the other thing? that explains this? What is the why to this? What is, what is not this? If I say, why is this microphone here? What am I really getting at? I'm getting at, uh, something about me is probably uncomfortable that this microphone is here. I I don't have a, I'm not comfortable that I don't have some sort of story in my head about what has this microphone here, which I have to tell a very specific story of cause and like, and, and I get to tell it however I want. I could be like, well, my mom bought me this microphone and it's very special to me. So of all the microphones, I chose this microphone. Of course, that's not, wouldn't be the totality of any, and she didn't buy this microphone, but you know, just using an example. (laughs) Um, But a story, it's just picking a number of events that have also happened and then trying to cause some sort of, trying to tie some kind of story of cause and effect. But of course, those things were caused by other things and and those things were caused by other things. But really, when you look at cause and effect, it all just goes together. You can't actually find a clean cause and a clean effect. And so what is divine law if it's not just what is? Right. So what you just said there, that we have this assumption that our perspective, our intuitive perception of reality is not a complete understanding of the divine law. So where would that intuition come from? It must come from an understanding that there is more than us. Right, like, because if we totally trusted our own perspective, then it, it would just be because we have some ultimate nature that we are everything, and that ours is an ultimate perspective that can give objective truth. But we have an intuitive perception that our perspective is incomplete, right? Because we do not identify as all things; we identify as a subject which is limited, as a limited individual self or an ego. And from that inherent perception of the ego, there is doubt, right? Because if I am just this one little body, Mason Smith, with its little sense organs and its little brain, how could I possibly understand the divine law, Mm -hmm. right? So maybe it's really the identity of the individual that is at the source of all this confusion. Yeah. And if you think about it in that way and you say, well, I'm talking too much, Emily, what do you, you got to 
<laughs> I have the the law definition pulled up now. <laughs> I'm on a definitions kick, but it says it's the system of rules which a particular country or community recognizes as regulating the actions of its members, which is interesting because in there you can hear that it's something that's subjective and, and agreed upon by a group of people to be in itself. So like divine law would be whatever a bunch of people agree that it is just like any and if it's divine then it must apply to the largest group right to all beings it's not just yeah. a particular society or culture um, yeah. and what's really interesting about that definition i think is that it has that aspect of plurality and unity of individuals within a collective whole right mm -hmm. and, it, and it has to do with the relationship between the perspective of the individual and the collective mm -hmm. whole Mm -hmm. So I'd like to touch on how that relates to the teachings of Jesus. Um, so I've pulled up John 15, in which he speaks about the vine and the branches, right? So skipping around a little bit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Just enough right there. I am the vine, mm -hmm. you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think that in itself is unbelievably loaded, but mm -hmm. just think about it for mm -hmm. a second. If Christ is the vine and we are the branches, the branches live on the vine. The branches are the vine, right? So mm -hmm. we are Christ. We are the vine, but we are the branches, right? So what are the branches? The branches are the ego, the individual person, which perceives itself to be distinct from the whole, from the vine, from Christ itself, from emptiness, so there's confusion in that, like, and in, in there's a sense of failure in that. But when we are one with Christ and we keep Christ within us as, as he naturally is and we stay as the vine, there's a sense of liberation and a sense of bearing fruit, right? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be made in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And this has been a Sunday sermon with Pastor Mason Silk. <laughs> but <laughs> All over. Think about that last line. Love each other as I have loved you. How does Christ love us? Let me ask you that. How does Christ love us? Creating us in this moment. Being us. How does he moment. do that? Being us in this moment. Mm -hmm. So if Christ loves us by being us, how do we love others? Logically, I guess the answer to that would be by being others. Bingo! <laughs> or following the logic but that's, of that's that. not a great thing to say in Enneagram <laughs> Nine. Like, like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I got that one on. I, I know how to be, be like other people. <laughs> <laughs> you mean codependent great we got that one figured out but there you go again right like so it's not about being like other people it's not about depend there's no relationship of dependence when mm -hmm. it is a true identity mm -hmm. right it is not about being christ-like it is recognizing that you are christ christ is all things all people are only god and when mm -hmm. that realization totally fills the mind totally fills the body then love is there, all, all there is. There's only love. It flows spontaneously. Mm 
I don't have to do anything to love other people because I am everyone. Hmm. I think that I think it's worth making a distinction that this is a an experience more than an abstraction, though, because it can just the 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 mental concept of okay, I am everybody, or I am God, is really just still an abstraction. It's still just a set of words that you're compar- mm-hmm. that could be used in definition in opposition to I am not everyone. Or I that am. is true. Um, so they're really they're powerful words there are technologies as themselves but the experience of the 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 letting go of the constriction of identity of letting go of the of the felt walls between me and source between me and you between me and anything just as as one surrenders in this moment completely these words are kind of good pointers backwards. Like, Oh, see, it kind of feels like <laughs> there's nobody here or there's, it kind of feels like, you know, <laughs> that's what these great um, pointers are. They're, they're, they're not necessarily salvation in themselves. They are, they are reminders and invitations into this moment to being what you are. And as in this, if you just, want to be free, go ahead. Just right now. (laughs) That's the only time you could be free, right? Is now. And if the, going back to the divine law thing, if divine law, if you think of it, that which guides and whatever the definition was, uh, what actually guides this is just itself. So it, it is the divine law. This is the, the law of God, the word of God become flesh is this. And if the sin then is actually that which separates me from this, if the sin is that which actually pulls me away from the wholeness of this moment, the shalom of this moment, sin really is my thought, my thought of what should be, my thought of me, my sense of identity, that actual like pulling away internally um, from what is and is trying to escape, trying to want something else other than this. It's, a, it's the opposite of surrender. Sin is, is the grasping. Sin is the clenching. And salvation then is the letting go. Salvation is the opening of the hand. Sin is the closing of the fist. I like it. Question for you, though. Is it possible to let go of sin permanently? I mean, ultimately, I think it's all just not not real. Like, <laughs> but for the ego, if you're a human being yeah. and you have a subjective experience as a human being that you feel this sense of incompleteness, this tension, this sin, could that ever stop? For a human, if if you're identified as the single individual, that is the sin. So no. Yep, I agree completely. I think this gets to a really interesting point that I've jotted down here, which is that Christ is timeless. It exists at all times. It exists at no times, right? It, it is the the pure emptiness of holding space time itself 
is the mirror on which everything is reflected. But the ego is not like this at all. The ego exists within time. Mm-hmm. Everything it does is localized at a, at a location within space-time. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a sense, if we call Christ this timeless truth, which we all are, the ego is instead the internal process of that unfolding. Right. And a process is never resolved. Right. It's, it's never complete. It never begins or ends. It is, it is simply something that happens eternally. So salvation is the relationship between the eternal process of the ego realizing its true nature as Christ and the timeless truth that that has already been accomplished. Mm. Ooh, goes back to the, yeah, it's already been done. It is finished. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, but then I, I'm looking back at that theology definition then with a little more of those terms to find out it has a different feel to it for sure. Thinking of deliverance from sin mm-hmm. and its consequences believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. <laughs> I'm a Christian. <laughs> so then what's the only piece in there that's still kind of missing is what is faith? True. Because we know what we got the Christ, we got the sin, we got the consequences, but what is that? What oh is the faith God. that brings that about? What is the faith in Christ? That's amazing. <laughs> I, I think faith itself is one of the most badass things that a person can accomplish. Because there's a lot of people that reach a sincerely happy, liberated condition through faith. And so think mm-hmm. about what that means is that they subconsciously have an intuition that everything is already fine and they are already liberated. But consciously, they cannot possibly reconcile that with their rational objective experience. So instead, they decide to have faith, which is an abstract notion within themselves that says, it is possible for me to be liberated. I don't directly perceive it, but it is. And that actually makes them happy. Isn't that amazing? Right? Like mm-hmm. they can't convince themselves that everything's fine already, but they believe that it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's badass. I, I'd like making the distinction personally, and I'm sure it has something to do with my own history and baggage from the past, but I think making a distinction between faith and belief is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. To so me, maybe even if they don't believe it. Yeah, so I guess that's what I'm saying. They don't believe it, but they have faith. Right. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> yeah, faith. What did this, what does it say in the Bible? I don't know if I, I'm going to like this definition, but the, the assurance of things hoped for. No, I don't like that definition. I, <laughs> well, if you think about I, if if I have faith in you, Michael, I say, I have faith in you, Michael. It's not that I believe you exist. I'm saying something different there. Mm. I'm saying like, if I'm saying I believe Trust. in you... I, it's it's beyond just like I think you're real. I'm saying like I have faith in you. There's there's a different essence there to that. Yeah, word. it's like a psychological action where I've, I've taken mm. these concerns and I've been able to put them in a nice little box and say like I trust this box. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Faith. Yeah, we don't use words like belief to go. Um, Do you, do you, I guess we don't, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example here, but when we use the words belief, uh, we don't tend to talk about gravity in terms of belief. You know, we don't try to, 
Um, like what do I just, I have beliefs in gravity. We tend to use <laughs> words in belief, beliefs with really things that don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is true. <laughs> and it's like, I know it doesn't exist, but I'm going to believe <laughs> it's kind of that. It's a grasping. It's a like, it's a, it's a, a firming up of resolve to be like, no, it's kind of a no, it's a no to reality. It's like, no, I don't care what that study says. I believe, no, I don't mm. care what this person said or what this happened over here. I believe this is my belief. I don't, I'm dismissing parts of reality so that I can hold on to my own concept. That's my experience most of the time of belief. Whereas in faith feels kind of the opposite. Faith is like, it's not really a, a mental um, construct at all. It's really kind of an embodied yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's a hopefulness to it, like a, a, a hopefulness in, and a confidence in the, in the goodness of things, in the true goodness. But Michael, yeah. the way that you just described belief, I think does apply a lot to Christianity, right? It's mm-hmm. like believing in something you don't believe, right? And like, so think about John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I think that perfectly sums up what Jesus was able to accomplish. He looked at a world and said, these people are not smart enough to be happy. <laughs> There's just no way. <laughs> if, if I don't help them, they're not going to get it. So he figured out that he could become the object of love the object of completion, right? And he said, you don't have to see it. You don't have to directly perceive your own inherent liberation because whoever believes in me shall not perish, but will have eternal life. The joke is they don't know they're already eternal, but he tells them, if you believe in me, I will make you eternal. And they, they fucking bought it. (laughs) (laughs) The con, the Jesus con (laughs) selling shit. You already got, he's selling fucking snake oil. That's what he's doing. Right. Like, (laughs) <laughs> oh my god uh, I love this this is a very rare kind of podcast guys <laughs> you think there's like moments of just sublime reverence and like wow that's the scriptures are so holy and then he's selling snake oil <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it makes me very happy. <laughs> um, well, just, yeah. So if we go back to kind of what we've done with everything in this season, and if it's like if heaven was about now and hell was about now, and it's all, we talked about shame originally as kind of being that original sin um, expressed in our lives and how that turns into cycles of violence and codependence. And then, and we look at salvation in the same lens and it's really in this moment, are you free? And the interesting thing, I think we may have talked about this on the heaven one, but when you're set free, when you, the, the isness, the, the, the one consciousness, the one being the, the vine, the ocean is set free, then all the waves become free. And this is like even the Buddha said in me, like all things, how did he say it? All things have, uh, been liberated. And the Bible says all creation groans awaiting the children of God to be revealed. When, when I become free in this moment, 
what's really ha- the the what is the I? The I is the subject, the ultimate experiencer of reality, which we can only find one. Really, if you like, try to really look close and look at where are the lines of cause and effect in time, and you you just take a big picture view. You see, there's really only the one thing that is experiencing itself, and so itself, the it, the big one becomes free in this moment when it allows itself to be what it is and it doesn't try to resist it. And it does that through a body. It does that through a pair of eyes and in a mind and in a heart. And when that mind and body and heart don't resist the flow of what is all things see themselves, see itself, everything that you're seeing through that body becomes free to be exactly as it is. And so your salvation is not individualistic. Everything becomes free when any of it becomes free. I think there is an important distinction there, though, because like, as you said, it is singular. It's not individualistic in that the experience of freedom is the same for all people, right? Because it's just that one experience of identity with all things. But it is, in my opinion, the very most individualistic thing. Like any description of enlightenment or salvation, liberation is 100% entirely inside of your head, inside of your body, confined to the ego. As The Christ does not become liberated. The Christ is. It is liberated completely at all times and all places. The ego perceives itself to undergo a process of enlightenment, right? So that means it is entirely defined within your own body, within your own mind. So that, I think, takes us to the really practical question that I think people are actually going to want to know. What is enlightenment? Can I achieve it? And should I? Does it matter? Yeah, it's interesting because it, in a way it feels like the, the what is Christ can never not be free. And what thinks it's not free, this ego separateness, can never be can never really be free that part can't ever so neither of them really can ever be anything other than what they are so it's not really nothing's really going from not being free to being free it's just the shift in perspective almost seems more of an accurate accurate way to describe it nailed it but it feels like there's this something is something is becoming something else but Really, those two things can't ever be anything other than freedom and imprisonment. I agree completely. I think, yeah, that's the key, is that it is both completely outside of time and within time. Like, I like to say, I became enlightened once, and I also become enlightened every day. Let me tell you this. I became enlightened a week before Halloween 2015, right? It was an experience that I had. And from that moment on, there has never been a single time when I could at all resist the truth that all is one. It's so obvious. So I refer to that as the moment that I became enlightened, right? It was the moment that that became so painfully apparent to me that I could never forget it again. But at the same time, I become enlightened every day, right? Every day I experience new kinds of sin, new kinds of contradiction. I get angry with myself. I feel like an idiot. I feel like I screwed up. I feel like a bad person. I have that feeling every day. And every time those feelings arise, I get to watch with wonder as that crushes against the experience of Christ. And I know that that is nothing but a story, but a thought. 
So yeah, sure, I became enlightened at some point in time. I learned the truth that God is everything, and there's only Christ, there's only the one. But more importantly, now I get to experience the eternal process of that unfolding within my life, Mm -hmm. within the world, and the rest of my life will be that process. I'll become deeper enlightened every day. Now we're talking about sanctification, Mason. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) But it's so funny that we use that language because... It's funny that we use that language because nothing's really becoming anything. Yep. <laughs> like, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Yet we still talk about it in that way. Like, there is an I to become enlightened, which right. is but, not. But there's an obje- objective change, right? That, that's the thing. Yeah. Is we don't want to dismiss this. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people dismiss it. They go, like, oh, okay, everything's already enlightened, so I don't have to do anything. But there is an mm. objective transformation to your thoughts and body and mind that can occur. Yeah. Once you yeah. accept rationally that there is only one being, it will have a real effect on your life. It's true. And you will find that you can deal with emotions differently than you did before. You will have new psychological tools to get the most out of life. Yeah. And then I wonder almost that that makes me wonder if there's like a vocabulary word missing for like the body or the being like the individual that is experiencing a shift because the, there you're absolutely right in saying there is a very clear shift like I can point to it very clearly in my own experience too and so it it feels true and it makes sense to say something like I awakened or I became enlightened because there is that very clear like I once was lost and now I'm found, I'm found yeah. kind of like Born feeling again. to it. But who does that happen to is the thing. Cause it does feel like, oh, like there's a word, there's a vocabulary word missing. It happens to Emily. It's, it's not that fucking complicated yeah. in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. still are ourselves. And like, you know, as much as we see these beautiful truths, we can't forget that I'm going to be Mason Smith till I die. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. the person that went through all these experiences, that learns all these things. That's the person who is speaking. And, you know, yeah. I can make it all romantic and beautiful by saying, no, this is Christ speaking to you with the magical power of the entire universe. But that's bullshit. <laughs> it's Mason Smith talking to you. These are just things that I've learned as a human being in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, these are just rational facts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that karma is an interesting kind of juxtaposition to put up against sin and what we're talking about here. Cause what we're talking about, we're talking about Emily or Mason or Michael. Um, we are talking about egos. We're talking about stories, but they are stories that play out and have practical consequences. And there are packets of memory that exist in the mind that exists socially, that exist in the very fabric of things that keep making Emily's eyes blue and mine Brown and mm-hmm. Mason's, Green? What do you color your eyes? <laughs> um, they change a lot. Um, you're not, you don't need it on the screen. I'm just using my memory of your face, which is not very good. I don't have a very good visual memory. <laughs> um, but uh, those packets of memory, I mean, in, in Indian philosophy and theology, they talk about it as karma. And and that's sort of what's happening in, in, in the unfolding of salvation or sanctification is sort of this karma unraveling these patterns that make their unconscious patterns where awareness forgets itself for Christ loses himself um, in the, in these unconscious patterns of memory. That's just, this is how we do it. It's just like a loop happening Um, as, as awareness 
as Christ, as salvation happens moment to moment to moment to moment, uh, in my experience, it it's it deepens into the body in ways. I think sometimes, as we say, what the body's complicated. It's not just a mind. It's not just a heart. It's it's all these different systems. It's all these different kinds of memory. All these different kinds of uh, and planes of stuff happening. And some of the systems seem to be like affected by thought, you know, like your muscles, you seem like if you can go, I want to go on a run and you think that and desire it, your body might go for a run, but you don't get to go. I want my body to digest faster today. Uh, doesn't care. doesn't matter what you think about it or what you want. This is going to digest at the pace it digests. Um, so how awareness moves into all the systems and all the bodies where some of these unconscious loops of being un I, I think there's different I think this is what the different yogas are um in Indian theology. And I don't think there's really great theology or practice really developed within the Christian tradition for this yet that I've come across. But I think that's probably what a lot of the spiritual practices are for. It just haven't been hasn't been formalized very well. Where and it, I mean, it is a little formalized within like the contemplative traditions, right? There are cl- contemplative Christian mystics that describe a kind of yoga, which is similar to what you find in the East. Mm. But I think probably all the traditions need some updating with even our current understanding of the body and of the mind and, and neuroscience and neuroscience, all of it. Like it could, we yeah. could get more effective with our technologies and with our salvation and our sanctification. If we didn't have mm-hmm. such a simplistic view of, is Michael enlightened now? Cause I had a, th- <laughs> I had the realization that everything is God. Uh, <laughs> no, Michael is yeah. actually the resistance to enlightenment, that concept mm-hmm. of Michael, but, but the experience of enlightenment, enlightenment itself is, is deepening in the body moment by moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I was trying to get at with like, it, it, like Emily doesn't feel like an efficient enough description of that experience that you're talking about, Michael and in, in the body and all of these, these what's happening there and karma, bringing in the karma piece definitely brings more, more specification to that process. Cause that is, and that, 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 that distinction between salvation and sanctification feels important too. Cause those are not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. And those thinking of it in those words is new and different and fun. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think you're getting at one of the biggest like places of potential to improve our society is mm-hmm. that we need psychologists, neurologists mm-hmm. and mystics working together. Yes. If, if those three yeah. were to work together, we could change the world, right? If we mm-hmm. had the smartest non-dual mystics communicating with the very smartest psychologists and the very most astute neuroscientists in the world, we could do some pretty cool things. Mm. Yeah. And Avengers of the psyche <laughs> <in the> mind. <laughs> I love, I just think it's hilarious and wonderful. The cycle where I can once again be like, Repent, put your faith in Christ so that you can live eternally in heaven. (laughs) Be free from sin. I can say and be free from sin. I can say that now and mean (laughs) it. (laughs) You can say anything if you define the terms in an advantageous way. I know, that's what's making me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a way where it does make sense where it's not completely so out there is if we're defining sin as like a potato, you know, it's, it's like, there's an essence of this, that it makes 
sense. And as you look through these different scriptures of the Bible, as we've been on this journey this season, more and more I'll like find a scripture where I'm like, oh, and it almost makes more sense that it did with the old definitions, you know, the old definitions had a lot of holes. Yeah. <laughs> and I so love, I love all yeah. the verses in John where Jesus is like, because I have told you the truth, you have not believed me. Right. Like, yeah. Mm hmm. Right. Like it's all there already. I mean, like he says, like, I have to use figurative language right now to express the truth because you aren't ready to hear it in plain speech. But there will come a day when you are ready and I will tell you in plain speech what I know of my father. Right? He basically says exactly that. This is that day, right? <laughs> Today, in the year 2021, is when the average person has now become rational enough, objective enough, scientific enough to be told the truth in plain speech. Mm. You know, all is yeah. one. Everything is God. You are God already. But they weren't ready for that 2,000 mm. years ago, but now we are. And I think part of the reason, Michael, that like that those things resonate with you now and you can do that without just feeling like you're just swapping definitions to try to make it make sense to you, which is something I think we can all do is that when something resonates or ha like feels like, yeah, that's what it is. It's because of experience. It's when we have an experience to match mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. And that's why like when art resonates with people in a really deep way, it's because we feel like, oh, that matches something that I've experienced. And that's why, you know, if I were yeah. to go to an alien planet and talk about ice cream, like the, the alien's not going to yeah. be understand. But when we have a shared experience of something and we attach a word to it, then it resonates. And so mm. by looking at things in this light, having had an embodied experience of that, then, then it's like, Oh, this clicks, this works, this fits instead of just feeling like I'm just going to call it this because yeah. I'm deciding to in my mind. Yeah. And it's It's kind of exciting to have, words for it. And the truth is for me, it never really resonated, but some of those, those things were always kind of like embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Like it was always kind of embarrassing that my God was only going to accept some people in. Yeah. You know, and like yeah. that, that, that I was on the good team and they were on the bad team it was embarrassing. I didn't want to tell my friends that they're going to go to hell. That's stupid. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I was kind of apologetic. Sorry, my dad's, he's an asshole, you know? <laughs> I just didn't tell people that was the nine move. <laughs> I, I, nine. I, I was not evangelical. I think it's really interesting the way that you're like, you're interpreting Jesus's words through an ethical lens. And I think that's what most people naturally do. They say, you know, like, oh, he said, well, that the good people will achieve God's word and that the bad people will fall away and be burned as the chaff. But like, I don't think he was speaking ethically when he was saying that. Right. I think he was speaking practically and you, like, as a utilitarian. Mm -hmm. I think he was pointing out that there's objective, practical value to recognizing identity with Christ. And that if you find that truth and become the vine, then you'll bear fruit. You know, you will achieve great things in your life. If you're constantly hung up thinking about a bunch of dumb bullshit, you might not get much done. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he said it so clearly. It's like, how do we, how do we know it's you? Where, where I'm the one in prison. I'm the one on the side of the road. I'm the one. He just said it. <laughs> he just mm -hmm. said it so many times. In so yeah. many ways, we're like, hmm, so what you're saying is there's a big guy in the sky. <laughs> it's just like, what? Well, and that's why even the verse that's like those who have ears to hear, yeah. it's like there is this thing when, when you've seen it firsthand, you've had this experiential encounter of like, oh, I this is so, like you said, Mason, like this is painfully obvious to me. I can't unsee this. 
then it all clicks and it resonates in that way before it is just belief it is just ideas it's just words right. with if if you don't have that experience then it doesn't mean anything to you in that way and there's no way to make it mean something to you without experiencing it mm, so true hey could i have like three minutes here to read you a passage from ken wilber great i'll always say yes to that Awesome. So this is from A Brief History of Everything by Ken Wilber. Um, Starts on page 215. The central point we were discussing is that because this non-dual condition is the nature or suchness of any and all states, because this emptiness is one with whatever forms arise, then the world of form will continue to arise and you will continue to relate it to form. You will not try to get out of it or away from it or suspend it. You will enter it fully. And since forms continue to arise, then you are never at an end point where you can say, here I am fully enlightened. In these traditions, enlightenment is an ongoing process of new forms arising, and you relate to them to forms as emptiness. You are one with all these forms as they arise, and in that sense, you are enlightened. But in another sense, this enlightenment is ongoing because new forms are arising all the time. You are never in a discrete state that has no further development. You are always learning new things about the world of form, and therefore your overall state is always evolving itself. So you can have certain breakthrough enlightenment experiences, Satori, for example, but these are just the beginning of an endless process of riding the new waves of forms as they ceaselessly arise. So in this sense, in the non-dual sense, you are never fully enlightened any more than you could say that you are fully educated. It has no meaning. And yes, some of these non-dual traditions get pretty wild, particularly the Tantra. They are not afraid of samsara. They write it constantly. They don't abandon the defiled states. They enter them with enthusiasm and play with them, exaggerate them, and they couldn't care less whether they are higher or lower because there is only God. In other words, all experiences have the same one taste. Not a single experience is closer to or further from the one taste. You cannot engineer a way to get closer to God, for there is only God, the radical secret of the non-dual schools. I love your reading voice, Mason. Thank it's you. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. So animated. It's nice. <sighs> yes, beautiful and brilliant. And in this moment, go ahead and just be enlightened <laughs> if you want. Fully enlightened. <laughs> fully enlightened in this moment if you just don't resist anything. That's all it is. Stop resisting anything for one freaking second. And you become the flow of the universe. You can do it any moment that you want. And there's no more suffering. All suffering disappears. I've, if you stop resisting the flow of the universe, there's no suffering to be found anywhere. And I'd like to say something directly out there to the smart people that I know are listening to this. If you have a thought within yourself that you might be enlightened, that you may know the truth and the secret of life, but you doubt yourself and you're constantly looking for more meaning, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you're enlightened already. Shut up. You know, just go, go, go do the good work. Go spread the gospel. Get on the right team. You know, you're wasting your time. Come help us out. We need you. This is all making me think of the Bo Burnham special. Could anyone at all just shut the fuck up about any yep. one thing <laughs> for, for any one, one moment? <laughs> so good. Yep. That's really what, that's really what it is. <laughs>
I've had like so many conversations. I don't know about you guys, but I, I've been very lucky in my life. I've got to have the experience of like maybe 20, 30 people becoming fully awake in front of me where they fully finally let go and accept all as one. And it's always so badass, right? Because mm, it's always so the beautiful. people that I've, I've known forever and they're like, oh God, no, that's impossible. It doesn't make rational sense. It can't be me. I couldn't be awake. And then there'll just be this moment where they go, fuck, like, oh, what have I been doing? <laughs> I knew this years ago and I just wouldn't let it end. I wouldn't shut up. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to see. Like so the, cool. the, the emptying of suffering out of the eyes in a moment. Either, especially like, when it's like your friend you know what i mean uh, like i remember when, yeah. when my best friend became enlightened and like i was texting him at the time and he sent me a text that just said oh shit i guess i'm enlightened <laughs> <laughs> and you know the, there's the other side of this where uh it can become its own trap and thing that you're seeking or some another way of creating another identity or whatever which would just lead you out of the experience but um but yeah like mason was saying like embracing what is and uh if you're identifying with that which is not enlightened being like do i have this do i have this well no you don't <laughs> but you can be this you can be whole in this moment it's a good distinction yeah and i think that's why i like the if we're going to use the the kind of christian words the distinction between sanctification and salvation because i think for a long time i got enlightenment confused as some like final destination kind mm -hmm. of thing of this like place of completion that meant that i had nothing else to discover or like and that didn't logically make sense to me when i looked at different people around me and and so that's a big part of why i resisted that word and that language for a long time way after i had like realize these things i still it took me much longer to to redefine that word i actually remember the first time michael when you and mason met before i knew you mason and michael I, he was like yeah i met this kid came over and he said he was enlightened and i was like yeah that's bullshit he's not enlightened <laughs> like i was like I, even then i was like so i was like no that's no because because nice. in the way i was ident the way i was defining enlightenment was still this like very final thing and so i think sometimes it's like demystifying that word taking some of the weightiness off of it to to know what that really is and and that it's something that many 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 humans can and do experience it's not just saved for buddha and christ it's it's very attainable it's attainable right now it doesn't take any long searching necessarily it literally is a moment-sized thing that you don't have to go do anything else to experience so that that helped me i think kind of pull that term yeah. apart a little bit yeah i think it's important to realize that you are not alone if you feel yourself on this journey and you like have that intuitive perception that you're free you're not alone there's been millions of us millions of buddhas across time and you're just one of them you know you're not special you're just like every flower. You're just like yeah. every cloud. Mm -hmm. You're just God herself. There is only God. Mm. So none of us are special. And if somebody tells you that they're better than you, who fucking cares? <laughs> who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I want to put... Is this the altar call part of the... This <laughs> is an altar so call. I want this to, to be an altar call. I think our season needs an ready. altar call. <laughs> it needs an I altar want, call. 
I want the people listening to our podcast to know that this is an invitation for you to change your life. Yes. I mean, just to change your perspective on life, you know? This isn't just something you're doing casually. This is the most important thing you've ever heard. Just mm-hmm. fucking let it go. Is, be happy. Just be happy. You know? Just love yeah. each other. It's it's easy. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's some good news. I've got a feeling that there's going to be some of our bodies that that wake up during this show. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I've, I've got buzzies in my body. Mm. I got a feeling there's also somebody out there going, fuck this. No, oh, you yeah. guys are assholes. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's good. That means that's some, un, some, that some of that karma working. running itself out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where we fade out into some altar call music. <laughs> <laughs> every every hat, every eye closed, every head bowed. And pray over the people. Yeah. Does anybody want to pray over the people? <laughs> hmm. What would be a good thing to take us out? We could have we could add that in post, have Reverend Brianna pray, pray? over the people. Ooh. Like fade into a reverend prayer. She does good ones. That's a good idea. I'll yeah. lead one right now just to see what happens. Okay. And then we should okay. Brianna prayer. All right. You, I, you don't have to use this, but uh, can I read the Heart Sutra real quick? Yeah, that's good. Here then. Form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness is no other than form. Form is only emptiness. Emptiness only form. Feeling, thought, and choice, consciousness itself are the same as this. All things are by nature void. They are not born or destroyed, nor are they stained or pure, nor do they wax or wane. So, in emptiness, no form, no feeling, thought, or choice, nor is there consciousness. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of, nor even act of sensing. No ignorance or end of ignorance, nor all that comes of ignorance. No withering, no death, no end of them. Nor is there pain, or cause of pain, or cease in pain, or noble path to lead from pain. Not even wisdom to attain. Attainment, too, is emptiness. So know that the bodhisattva holding to nothing whatever but dwelling in wisdom is freed of delusive hindrance, rid of the fear bred by it, and reaches the clearest nirvana. All Buddhas of past and present, Buddhas of future time, using this wisdom come to a full and perfect vision. Hear then the great song, the radiant peerless mantra whose words allay all pain. Hear and believe its truth. Gone, gone, gone beyond, gone all together beyond. Oh, what an awakening. All hail. Hmm. Father, Mother, Christ. We surrender. By receiving your love into our hearts, we receive all that is in this moment as your children. We repent 
for our sin, for resisting you, for resisting our truest self. We repent. We invite you into the deepest places in our soul and in our bodies and our minds to take root with your love, your wholeness, your peace, your salvation. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, um. That was the most Christian thing I've heard you say, maybe ever. Ever. <laughs> ever. Fully authentically. <laughs> wow. What a thing the season has done. <laughs> All right. Oh, this was quite a thing. <laughs> Should we call it there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, I'll hit stop.